You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Brother Chad. If you would, stand and turn to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, I want to thank Pastor Again, just for the opportunity uh, to speak uh, here at Wednesday night's service. Matthew 14. If you guys noticed, it's the same passage that I preached about two weeks ago. I preached the first half of the message uh, this past two weeks ago, but we're going to finish up in Matthew 14, Jesus walking on the sea, Matthew 14. I'm going to start verse 22, and then we're going to go all the way down to verse, verse 33, Matthew 22. And it says, straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get, on, get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he was afraid. Excuse me, but when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, "Lord, save me!" And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, and said unto him, "O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt?" And when the sea, and when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped, worshipped him, saying, "Of a truth, thou art the Son of God." You may be seated. We all know when we're trying to do two things at the same time, it's often extremely hard or sometimes even impossible to do. Have you ever tried listening to two people talk at the same time? Have you tried thinking about two different things at the same time? Have you tried walking in two different directions at the same time or even tried focusing on two different things at the same time? If you tried any of that, you know that it's impossible and almost extremely hard to do. So I want to show this, uh, how this works, and I asked Brother Samuel to help me here. I have a glass, plastic glass, with, and I have water here, and I'm going to pour this water into this cup here, nice purified water here, and from this glass, I'm gonna, I want to show you guys how if you put your focus on one task, then you can, you can accomplish it, something as simple as drinking water out of a cup with a straw. So I'm going to have Brother Samuel and just take a sip. Yep. Easy. Good. Good water. Yeah. Wet. Yep. Good. Okay. Uh, and now I'm going to give you a second straw. But instead of putting the straw, I'm going to have you drink from both straws, but instead of putting it in the water, I'm going to put it on the outside. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to try to take a sip of that and see what happens there. Anything? Coming up dry, huh? You want to try again? Anything? 
nothing. Okay, thank you. Give Brother Sam a hand. <laughs> so when you're when you're trying to focus, when you're trying to focus on the world, when you're trying to focus on yourself, and at the same time you're trying to focus on Jesus, it's just like trying to drink out of the water out of two straws, one on the inside, one on the outside. You're gonna come out dry. And you're not gonna accomplish anything. In fact, you're gonna accomplish nothing. Two weeks ago we asked the question, why was Peter um, able to walk out on the water? And we answered that question and found out that Peter was able to walk out on the water, number one, because he got out of the boat. He took initiative to get out of the boat. And number two, he had the faith in who Jesus was. Because Peter witnessed the miracles of Jesus um, firsthand and saw how people's lives had been changed as a result of putting their faith um, in Christ, Peter had the faith to walk out on the water to go to Jesus. And I wish we could say the story ended there. You know, Peter walks out on the water to go to Jesus. He meets him out in the middle of the sea. They walk back together on the boat and happy ending. But it doesn't end there, unfortunately. You know, like Brother Sam, Peter tried focusing on two things. He tried focusing on Jesus, but at the same time, he tried to focus on the storm and the danger he was in. And in the end, he couldn't accomplish anything. Because Peter takes his eyes, because he takes his focus off of Jesus and focuses on the winds and the waves, he begins to sink. If you notice in verse 30, he saw the wind boisterous. Boisterous simply means forcible, done by force, mighty, powerful, violent. While Peter kept his eyes fixed on Christ and believed that Christ had the power uh, to make him walk on the water, he also um, realized the danger that he was in. And he did, he did a good job walking, taking a couple steps out on the water, but when he saw the floods, when he saw the waves, when he saw the winds approach him, he took his focus off of Christ and f- began focusing on the danger that he was in. Notice the winds and the waves distracted Peter and caused him to take his focus off of Christ. Peter was trying to focus on two different things, and in the end, he chose to focus on the storm rather than Jesus. And as a result of him taking his focus off, what happened? It says also in verse 30, he began to sink. You know, while Peter's faith kept him above the water, his lack of faith caused him to sink because he began focusing on something rather than Jesus Christ. And so we ask, why, why did Peter sink into the water? It's because Peter sank in the water because he switched his focus on Christ and started focusing it on the winds and waves. And he sank because he let his fear of his circumstances, he let his fear of his his surroundings um, affect his faith in Christ. And then on the last part of verse 30, we see that Peter had the right response. It says, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. You know, Peter may have lost his focus for a minute, um, but he had the right response. Notice he didn't say, you know, disciple, save me. You know, he, I don't know how far of a distance he was from the boat, but he could have been closer to the boat than closer to Jesus, right? And notice that he didn't ask the disciples to throw him from a floaty to save him, but he said, Lord, save me. He could have been, gone back to the boat, which represented safety and comfort to him, but he's decided to call out to Jesus. And he, know if, and he knew if he, Jesus had the power to make him walk on the water, then Jesus also had the power to save him. And then aren't you glad, verse 31, Jesus' response. And it says, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him 
And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And once Peter cried out to Jesus to save him, Jesus immediately saved Peter from drowning. And you know, Jesus being a loving and patient God, he doesn't rebuke him, he doesn't go off on Peter, but he simply says, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And you know, doubt simply means to waver in opinion. And Jesus asked why Peter was doubting, since he's seen, and he know that Peter and the disciples have seen him done miracles and work in Peter's life. And Peter's doubt, you know, caused him to lose focus. His fear is what distracted him from keeping his eyes on Christ, and his fear is what ultimately caused him to sink. And for us, we're not, we're not on the sea walking to Jesus, literally walking towards Jesus and trying to get to Jesus by walking on, on water. But keeping our eyes on folk and focus on Jesus, for us, it's becoming more like Christ. It's trusting in Christ. You know, our goal, your goal in life is to become more like Christ. But there are so many distractions in our everyday life, um, mine included, that take your focus away from God and distract us from being more like him. And one of the biggest areas in my life that I think I struggle with the most of being distracted is spending time with God. And listen to this, the more time you spend with God, the more you'll be like God. And everyone struggles with this. And I'm not saying you have to spend hours upon hours a day reading your Bible and praying. I'm just saying and asking that spending at least 10 to 15 minutes a day reading, being in God's word, praying um, with God is better than no time reading and praying. One of the hardest things when spending time um, with God is finding a time and place um, with, that, with the least amount of distractions. And one of the hardest things that I deal with, but something that I dealt with with today, was just praying, reading my Bible, and trying to focus on God, but at the same time, you know, thoughts like, oh, what am I going to eat for lunch? Come up. While I'm praying, trying to focus on Christ, and what am I, what am I going to do today? What do I need to accomplish at work today? Or what am I going to eat for dinner? Things like that randomly pop into my head when we're trying to focus on Christ and their distractions. And if it means you have to set 10 alarms, uh, take a shower in the morning, um, leave your phone in another room, get, get up before the kids get up, you know, turn off the TV, anything, um, you, need, you need to find a time, a specific time and a specific place uh, where you find the least amount of distractions because it'll be a time where you can focus um, on God and let him speak to you. The more, you time, the more time you spend with God, the more you be like God the more you'll be like God. Um, another area, you know, when you say the word toys, you usually um, associate with kids and something that kids enjoy with. But something that I often forget is that we never grow out of toys, especially as guys, we never grow out of toys. And the difference is that they just get more expensive. 10,000 times literally more expensive when you grow up. And one of my weaknesses, one of my weaknesses that I enjoy uh, doing is buying and collecting sneakers, and I spend a lot of time shopping and looking at sneakers and buying and collecting and also reselling. For you, you name it. It could be cars, it could be motorcycles, it could be keeping up with the latest technology, it could be sports, etc. I'm not saying these things are wrong, but when you spend more time and you spend more of your effort and money 
on things of your hobbies than things of God. It's easy for those things, not, but it's, not that it's bad, but it could take your focus off of God and prohibit you from being more like God. The other day, me and Abishua, I'm going to pick on Abishua for a little bit, but we were running errands for the church, and Abishua's driving, and I'm in the passenger seat, and we're just driving in an intersection, and we cross an intersection, and all I hear is a, oh, mercy, what is it, a 68 Chevy Nova, and if you know that car, I don't know, Abishua was a huge car guy, but once he said that, his head turned an exact 180 from the front of the car, and that, and that caused a distraction, and all I had to do, and I was like, hey, get back to the, focus on the car. And he's like, you, you, you don't even know what that car is. And I'm like, yeah, but focus on the road. <laughs> Anyways, but, you know, if we're not careful, things like that, we can, we can easily shift our focus off of God and focus on other things. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all, but it just takes our focus off of God and onto other things. And if we're not careful, our love for fill in the bank can exceed our love for God, which ultimately takes our focus off of God. Some of you might be committed to your job more than you're committed to being at church, more than committed you committed to going door knocking or going to church when the doors are open. And it's easy to worry about getting more hours or um, trying to get a specific position at your job. But being in church and going out door knocking is something that is so easily easy that um, we can forget. Something as simple as work, it's not wrong, but it can take our focus off of Christ. Um, current events, you, you can look at all the things that are happening in the world. Every time we go fill up for gas, we notice how slowly and slowly and slowly it increases um, when we fill up for gas. But we could be focused on how bad the economy is, how expensive gas is, or how messed up our government is. And Satan uses all these things to try to get our focus off of God on, and to focus on these things. And we sometimes forget that, you know, this world is not our home. And we're just pilgrims passing through. And, you know, our make focus in life is to win souls and invite people to church and to disciple with others. So don't let your fear of circumstances affect your faith in the Lord. This is a big one. Social media is a big one for me. I'm not a huge Facebook guy, but Instagram, and I know a lot of people in my age, Snapchat and TikTok, it, it is a big thing. And sometimes I find myself every single day just on my phone spending hours and hours not even doing anything, swiping up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And it is a bad thing, but it's getting, getting our focus off of Christ. It's, it's not a bad thing. We're, we're, we're trying to walk... And I try my best to walk in a straight path and try to follow Christ, but it's minor things like social media, even music too, that you see, you see social media, post, people post things that you're attracted to, just take your focus, minor focus off of Christ. And those things can go a long way. And so what are, what, what are some areas in your life that are distracting you from keeping your focus on God, being more like God? What fears are causing you to lose your focus on God and being more like God? And when it all boils down to this, is my focus more on God or is it more on myself? Is it more on the world? And that's what it all boils down to. Am I focusing more on God or am I focusing more on myself? So I challenge you today 
to keep your focus on God throughout the day, throughout this week, throughout your life even, and you'll be able to become more like him. And that's what God wants us to do, become more like him. So I challenge you guys to do that today. Well, I'm thankful for this opportunity to, to preach today, and uh, thankful that Pastor gave me another opportunity and to follow Josh. I don't know why he keeps picking on me. There's a lot of car guys out here, I know. I know all of you. There's Brother Mike Steen. He's out here. But uh, I just want y'all to... This passage, it's a narrative passage, so... I want you all to follow me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, and if you all could stand, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 through 11. Now we see here, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. And pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about four thousand men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh. Unto us that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they may, might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with the great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. You may be seated. Now, I read about these two brothers once. They were, they were always fighting. They were a constant headache to their, to their parents. So, one day, their mother got tired, and, and she grabbed them both and took them to the church so the pastor could straighten them out. So, the pastor takes the younger one into the office, and he asks him, Son... Where is God? And the child stares at him and he asks again, Son, where is God? He still had a blank stare. Finally, the pastor grabbed him by the shoulders and asked him one last time, Son, where is God? And he started running. 
He ran through the office doors and outside and he passed his older brother and he chased him down and asked him what happened. And the younger one replied, man, we're in big trouble. God's missing and they think we had something to do with it. <laughs> Even though this was just a funny story, when we look at this passage, we something very similar but yet far more serious. We know when we read the passage, we know about the Philistines and the history between them and Israel, because Israel usually battles her near neighbors, which would be the Moabites, the Ammonites, and here the Philistines. But if we look at the first part of the verse, and uh, we do not take it in context, we may even misinterpret it. It says, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now that verse, that first part is connected to the previous chapter in the last verse. And it's pretty much telling us that the Lord has chosen Samuel to be his prophet. But then the second part of verse 1 in chapter 4 is where this, this narrative starts. It shows that Israel is going to battle against the Philistines. Now Samuel had just been chosen as a prophet of God and, and he was available for them to ask counsel to see what God thought about this, but they did not want to see that happen. Now, this may have been because Samuel was in his teenage years. Uh, he had just been called by God, and the elders of Israel probably thought that they knew better. And if they had consulted this prophet, I think this war would have gone a little bit differently. But in verse 2, we see what actually happened, because the Israelites lost about 4,000 men. 4,000 men in one day. That's a huge number. And yet, after losing all these men, the first thing we see the elders do in, in verse 3 is blame God. Now they said, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Why has God done, to, done this to us? And, and it's the right question because they, they want to know, why, why did God do this? But instead of asking that to God, they're asking that among themselves. Now, it's almost like if you're at work and, and you get your check finally for the week and you look at it and, and it's a couple dollars short. So instead of going to your own boss and asking him why, you just talk among your friends. And you're like, why, why, did, why didn't I get paid the whole amount? And yet you do nothing about it because you're not going to the source. That's how the Israelites were here. They're, they're questioning among themselves, why is God doing this to us? Why are we losing? But Israel had a pagan way of, of viewing God and thought they could satisfy God with just formal worship instead of coming forward with humility. You know, at that point, after losing 4,000 men, what Israel should have done is called to repentance. And they should, have, they should have bowed down and, and asked God to forgive them because when we read prior chapters and, and in the previous books, we know that Israel had sin among themselves. You know, God had warned Israel about their sin in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus chapter 26 and other places previous about what would happen if they did not follow what God had told them to. But no. They thought they could bring forth a victory if they could just get their hands on the ark. You know, they treated the ark almost like an idol. They were acting like the rest of the world. 
Now, growing up in India, I saw a lot of idols because in Hinduism, that's a huge thing. Anywhere you go, you see temples, temples with idols in it. You go into people's houses, they probably have idols or pictures of idols. You go in people's cars, they have idols there. It's to bring a good luck, like a charm. So here, they're, they're telling the people, we should go get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Because, you know, that's going to help us win the war. They had, they had seen what the rest of the world does. And they started treating the Ark of God, the literal pre- place where God dwelt among them, and treated it like a good luck charm. But what's even worse is that in verse 4 we see that Hophni and Phinehas come into the camp. You know, these were two, two men who were living in utmost sin. God had warned Eli and his family of the judgment they were going to face in Shiloh. He had warned them previous, but, but they did not regard it. Now the sons of Eli, they're in Aphek where this war is taking place, and they brought that sin with them into the camp. But here's the real question. Why wouldn't this plan work? You know, it worked for Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. He had the ark there. It also worked to divide uh, the Jordan River. The ark was there too. So why wouldn't it work here? They brought the ark in and there was a great shout and, and the Philistines were afraid and it almost looked like Israel was going to win. You know, people walking by would have thought there was a great worship happening. But it was quite the opposite. Their hearts weren't in the right place. Now, I read this once. Had they humbled themselves and prayed devoutly and fervently for success, they would have been heard and been saved. Their shouting proved both their vanity and irreligion. The Israelites were pretty much trying to show off. They were just trying to show off that now they have the, their hands on the Ark of God. Like the Philistines have no chance of winning. But what they didn't realize was they had the Ark of God, but God was nowhere with them. No, the Philistines were afraid once they realized that the Ark of God had entered their camp. These heathens were afraid because they had seen what God had done before. But then there's this amazing speech in verse 9 given by the captains and commanders of the Philistines. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines. That ye be not servants unto the Hebrews. Quit yourselves like men and fight. It was such an amazing verse. And, and I almost want to use it for like a men's meeting or something. Like the men's advance. But it's too bad that this was in the camp of the Philistines and not the Israelites. But this speech should not have done anything to change the fact that Israel's God would have helped them prevail. But where was God? In verses 10 and 11, we see what happens. They, fought, they fight, and, and the Philistines prevail because God allows them to. 30,000 more of Israel's footmen fall on top of the 4,000. And the ark of God was taken. And if we read on, we see the ark of God doesn't come back for another seven more months. And we don't see anything about the ark till chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. But then we see Hophni and Phinehas were also slain. And we know that this was God judging the house of Eli for the sins committed. But here's the question. Why? 
Why did Israel lose? Why was the ark taken? Why did any of this happen? Now, I believe it's because Israel tried to access the power of God without a true relationship with God. There was so much sin in the lives of all the Israelites, and then Hophna and Phinehas enter the camp, two men who were living a most wicked life, and it wasn't really the presence of the ark that made them lose the battle, but rather the absence of God. God was against them because he had told them in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28 and had warned them of the consequences of their sin. The family of Eli had been warned of their sin in Shiloh and yet they didn't get right. And that sin continued and followed them to Aphek. Instead of falling before the ark and begging God to forgive them and save them, they thought the ark itself was going to give them victory. In verse 3, they say, let us fetch the ark so that, they don't say that he may give us victory, they say so that it may give us victory. They had external ways of showing the presence of God, but internally, they lacked the true presence of God. Instead of seeing their own departure from God, they wanted to find their own solutions to solve their ultimate problem of sin. You know, the Israelites knew there was sin among them. They knew they were living a life that was most wicked. But they wanted to focus on their own superstitions. They had gone so far away from God that they treated the ark as some sort of idol. You know, Spurgeon once said this, Instead of attempting to get right with God, these Israelites set about devising superstitious means of securing the victory over their foes. In this respect, most of us have imitated them. We think of a thousand inventions, but we neglect the one thing needful. We forget the main matter, which is to enthrone God in the life and to seek to do His will by faith in Christ Jesus. You know, the Israelites lost in Aphek because they didn't get right in Shiloh. If we don't fix our problems, our Aphek we will be defeated because underneath all those problems, there are problems that lie in our Shiloh. Some problems that lie deeper in our hearts. Now, I fear that sometimes we may be in the same boat as the Israelites. We put our devotion on the outward ceremonies and put our dependence on that. We live in a sin that is slowly taking us down and taking us away from the Lord, yet outwardly we're doing everything right. We're going to church and we're going to every meeting and we're helping out with the youth and we're going to every activity and we're and we're going on visitation because, you know, we're still serving God. But yet God might be giving us warnings about things deep in our hearts through each church service. He may be giving us warnings about our pride or our anger or our jealousy or or our lack of forgiveness These may be things that you hear each and every service or each time you read your Bible. And these are all things that are are hidden in our Shiloh, in our hearts. And nobody else knows about these things. But yet you wonder why you keep losing at the office. Why you keep losing with your family. Why you keep losing with your friends. Why you keep losing at Aphek. 
Let me tell you, it's because you have problems that are still lying at Shiloh. There are problems deep in our hearts that are still lying in Shiloh, which are following us all the way to Aphek. Nobody else is going to see what is happening at your Shiloh, in your heart. But it is going to affect a lot of people at Aphek. Please, please don't rely on your outward ceremonies to save you from the problems of life when internally you haven't dealt with the root. Church, can I ask you this? Are you like Israel where we count on our outward appearance like our church attendance or a visitation record or a public prayer life to, the, to show the presence of God in our life? But inwardly, we're so far away from God that none of it even matters. Are you living a life of secret sin that may be causing you not to have a true relationship with God, even though outwardly, we're doing everything right? You know, God tried to deal with the sons of Eli, sins of Eli and his family at Shiloh. The sin of three men ultimately also led to the sin of an entire nation. And them losing 34,000 people. Eli and his family were supposed to lead the nation in the right way. And they were supposed to lead him to the victory in Aphek. But they didn't get right in Shiloh. Now there are a lot of people who depend upon you in your Aphek. But it won't matter unless you get right in your Shiloh. There may even be some here who are depending on these outward ceremonies to save your life and ultimately take you to heaven. But let me tell you, true salvation does not come through our outward ceremonies. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter with your church attendance or your visitation record. It only comes through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have that doubt in your life, please get your heart right with God. I don't want you all to have an empty life because you don't have God in the center. See, when you defeat, when you see defeat in your life at your AFEC, I want you to realize this. You have problems to take care of in your Shiloh. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.